Well, Lord, it is well. It is well with the fact that we know that regardless of what we do and how good we may think we are, that without Jesus, that we have no hope, that we cannot earn your good grace, that there is nothing that we can do to buy it or to, to just say, hey, we've worked so hard and done so many good things that we feel like that maybe we deserve something better. But Lord, we know that through your grace and your giving and your sacrifice of Jesus, that we can stand back and we can say, it is well that regardless of what I face and regardless of how difficult my life may be, that I know that I've been bought, I've been purchased, and I've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so therefore it is well. So God, I pray that you would wake us up, that our spirits would be renewed, that your spirit would convict us and guide us and encourage us and equip us for every good work that you want us to accomplish in our lives. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Office. Awesome. Uh, hey, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, we're going to be uh, uh, continuing our numbered series today. And I want you to think about this whole idea. We talked about literally last week, uh, living like each day was our last, to, to keep in mind and to keep focused on and to remember that our days are numbered. And as you flip to Matthew chapter 19, verse 13, I want you to think about this. It's amazing how you think you know so much about parenting until you become a parent. <laughs> I remember, I remember before we had kids when we would fly on an airplane and the, the kids like, you know, three or four rows in front of us would be screaming their ever-loving mind out and I'd be like, if I was their dad, that wouldn't be going on. I'd put that kid in his place and he'd know everything about what, I know, and that kid would not be screaming his head off. And then our son was about, I don't know, 11 months old maybe, I can't remember. We went flying somewhere and he screamed his ever-loving mind off for the, for, for the full almost two hours to the point where I just wanted to shrivel up like honey, I shrunk the kids and fall into the nasty crack of the airline seat so nobody could see me because I thought for sure that everybody wanted to kill my kid and likewise to kill myself because I couldn't keep my kid under control. And if you've ever been there in that situation, you're like, I know so much about parenting. And then you become a parent and you're like, I don't know squat about parenting. Preach on, right? Like I remember the morning that Sarah came in and told us we were expecting Ethan. Hey, I'm pregnant. I went, awesome. And I walked into our bathroom in Fort Worth on Sandage Avenue, and I looked in the mirror and I went, oh my gosh, this is real. This isn't somebody else's kid that I can hand off and I can send him home. You're gonna be a dad. At which point I can remember looking square in the mirror and going, I ain't ready for this. There is no way that I could be a dad. And I want you to think about this because I want you to remember to, as we jump into this whole idea of living numbered lives and choosing to make every day count, we have to begin to understand that our time with our kids is numbered. And you may say as a person in the church, what's that got to do with me? I don't have kids. Or maybe my kids are gone. They're out. What does this sermon idea have to do to me? Do with me? How do I apply this to me? And what I want to say is it has everything to do with you. 
It has everything to do with our church. It has everything to do with no matter what age you are, that you and I have to learn to understand that we are better together than we are trying to do things on our own. And so I'm gonna come together with this and I wanna come at it from a number of different standpoints. Number one, I wanna talk to you as parents and maybe you'd say, hey, look, my kids are gone. Great, that's fine. You got grandkids potentially coming up, all right? And it doesn't mean that just because your kids are out of your house, you still can't be a parent, a father and a mother who points them to the direction and love of who Jesus is and what he wants to do. See, I come, or I, I, you know, I've, I've talked about this, and as a youth pastor, I used to talk about parenting, all right? I used to try and talk about parents and encourage parents, and I would talk to them about their teenager. Why? Because I studied teenagers, I hung around teenagers. Everything I read was on teenagers. It seemed like I knew more about parents and, or I knew more about the teenagers than parents did. And so I come at it from a standpoint of 12 years of youth ministry, dealing with teenagers and things like that. But then I become a parent and I realize you don't know squat, dude. <laughs> like you're talking to people about their teenagers, but you don't know the parenting aspect of it. You can talk to parents about how they relate to their kids and how they communicate with their kids, but the reality is you don't know diddly. And so I come at it from 12 years of youth ministry experience, but then I also come at it from a standpoint of saying, look, I've been in seven years of of a pastoral ministry, lead pastor ministry, and I've dealt with all kinds of things. I've dealt with the parents and the, 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 the difficulties. I've, I've seen the stories and the dysfunction and the chaos, the addictions and the brokenness. I, I, I've had awesome opportunities to see parents who have loved their kids well and whose kids now are raising kids who are gonna love Jesus well. So I, I say that to come at it and say, listen, I understand that parenting isn't easy. And let's face it, it seems to be, in my opinion, getting more and more difficult as the days progress. But here's the good news. And I believe this wholeheartedly, that God's word has many things to say to us about parenting, about developing and discipling our children in the brief, limited moments that we have. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 19, starting in verse 13. And I want you to read this in light of understanding that this has everything to do with everybody here in the church, regardless of your age. Listen to what it says. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Or he also could be the idea that he rebuked even the Children. So the disciples rebuked those who brought them. And Jesus said in verse 14, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And when he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now, I believe today that we're going to look at a number of things that we have to understand and, and, and dig into to understand really that we are better together. I remember the, 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 the idea, and, and I tell you about this with, with the, the story of Sarah and going to the mirror when she told me she was pregnant, but I remember later after having uh, uh, Ethan, and I remember talking to my dad, and I was like, dad, you got to give me pointers on parenting. And he says exactly like this. Well, I learned this, that you don't know squat about parenting until you become a grandparent, and then you realize all the ways you did things wrong. 
And I said, that's of absolutely no help to me because I'm not a grandparent. And he goes, well, all I can tell you is follow what God told you to do in his word. And I was like, well, okay, but that, like, I'm practical, right? Like, this is the parent side of me going, just give me something practical. And so today, I want to give you some practical things that I believe will help us both as parents and as a church to understand that we're better together than we are just on our own. In other words, me as a parent doing it on my own or us as a church doing it on our own, that when we work together, we're better together. So you may say, Brian, my kids are grown and gone. So this doesn't matter to me when the reality is, yes, it does matter to you. This has everything to do with everyone in every church. So when you hear that, please hear my heart. There's gonna be some things I'm gonna say. They're gonna be a little bit of tough love. I'm not gonna claim to be the expert in parenting because I can look at my kids and go, I'm obviously not. But I also want you to understand this. And here's the big thing. If you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that parents... In the church, parents and the church, church and the parents, not parents or the church or the church or parents, it's parents and the church partner together to display the heart of God to every child. I hope you hear that out because that's the role that this has to begin to play in each and every one of our lives. Parents and the church, guess what that throws the doors wide open to? Who's the church? (laughs) Right? The church is the very people of God who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. They're the bride of Christ. So it's parents and the church. It's the believers who, who, who love Jesus, who say, listen, it's our role and our responsibility to be a part of, to partner together with, to display the heart of God to every child, regardless of age, regardless of how they grew up. It is our role. It is our destiny. It's the very thing that God created us for, to display the heart of God to every child to display the love that Jesus has for every single individual, to show that every kid that you matter, that you're loved, that God had created you for purpose and with value and with meaning, and God has something greater in store for you. That's our role, together. I think about this way, and I was gonna actually bring up some spray paint and do an illustration to, to, to show you something, uh, but I decided I would save you the nauseous fumes. And I just want you to visualize this, okay? There's a, there's a great method out there. As a matter of fact, I've talked with some of our kids workers and things like that. It's called the Think Orange Strategy, and it's the idea of taking the yellow of the church and the red of the family and putting them together, and what color do you get? Orange, right? So every Chiefs fan in reality is a Broncos fan. <laughs> I knew that when you're like, what? You're going crazy. Um, but but here's, here's the reality of what's taking place. The yellow of parents or the family and the, and, or sorry, the yellow of the church and the red of the family coming together to make orange, that we partner together to raise up kids who have a love for their family and a desire to walk with Jesus and who are also taught in the church that, listen, I can go to other people besides just my parents and get great advice based upon the biblical truths of what God has called me to do. 
that when we as a church partner with parents, that the, the kids are set up for success so much better than if we just do it on our own. Now, here's the role, here's the rub. Because in the past, a lot of us want to pass the buck. We expect somebody else to do the work. As a matter of fact, I'll even throw it out this way, and I've heard people say this in the past. Well, we expect the young people to do the kids' ministry, and we're just going to avoid it. Now, I know right now I'm probably stomping on some toes. But I want you to understand the role that the parents in the church, when we partner together, carries out in ministry. That you and I are all valuable regardless of age and everything else because we have the opportunity to display the heart of God to every child. So here's the question I want to ask. What is our role in the lives of children? What is our role in the lives of children? Because all of us play this role. All of us fulfill this destiny that God set up for us in the beginning. As a matter of fact, I want you to understand this as we jump in to what is our role in the lives of children. The first statement is this, that we have to bring them to Jesus. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and to pray for them. The role is, is that we've got to bring them to Jesus. That means parents, it is your responsibility to point your kids to Jesus. It is your responsibility and your burden to lead them to Jesus. It is your destiny as a parent because God gave you as a steward of this child that God gave you that role and that responsibility to bring them to Jesus. Now, do they have to make their own decision? Yes. But if I point them to Jesus in everything, then I am set up for success. But if I don't point them to Jesus and just say, hey, you just got to go to church, they miss the biggest picture ever. Because we don't take on the responsibility ourselves. I have to bring them to Jesus. That means no matter where you're at in your life with your kids, it's never too late to point them to Jesus. For years, one of the goals of the church was to reach kids. As a matter of fact, I grew up in this generation. We thought that if we've reached the kids, we reach the family. Do you know how false that was? I grew up in the bus ministry and I'm not gonna say that the bus ministry is null and void because I think it's very vital. But I want you to understand this. Your odds of reaching the family with Jesus by reaching the kids first is 3%. Your odds of reaching a father who passes off the raising of his child by saying, just take him to church and I don't have to do anything. Your odds of reaching that father are 3%. But guess what happens when you reach the father? 91% chance that you're gonna reach the rest of the family. 91% chance. You reach the men, you reach the children. You reach the men, you reach the wives. You reach the men who are called up to lead and to lead and lead well. When you reach the men, there's something drastically different and it's called the responsibility of the headship that the man has in the relationship. And so what I want you to understand, and I'm gonna step on toes a little bit with parents all the way around, but I want you to understand that your role as a father and a mother is very vital. That you point your kids to Jesus in each and every situation and setting you have. We wanna give you those opportunities. And please hear me out. Our children's ministry, the role of Trails Kids is to help strengthen and nurture and connect and partner with you. It cannot be to usurp your authority. I hope you hear me out in that. 
If you expect your kids to only follow Jesus based upon a Sunday morning program, you're gonna miss the biggest boat and the best thing you got. But when you pour your heart and your life into your kids, you're gonna experience something even greater. You've got to bring them to Jesus. And I believe wholeheartedly, I know it is the desperation, it's the desire for most of us, but we have to put things aside and begin to say, I'm gonna take practical steps to do this. Matter of fact, I saw this quote. I couldn't tell you who said it, but I saw it pop up. Uh, I've been reading a number of books and, and I thought this was great. Your greatest contribution as a parent may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Don't neglect your kids to the point where everything is about what you do and not about who you raise. You have to focus on this. Why? Because my greatest contribution may be this, that person I raise. Think about this. Billy Graham had a father and mother. We can look back all throughout and we can say, well, who was it? Does anybody talk about Billy Graham's parents? I don't know. Well, they were good parents. But Billy, Billy didn't come to Jesus till he was 17, almost 18 years old, as a result of being invited to a revival. And so what I want you to understand is this. You don't understand or you don't see what's gonna go on in your kids' lives, but you never know what God's got prepared for them. Your role, though, is just simply to invest in them, to disciple them, to teach them to love who God is and what he stands for, to know the nature of God. See, the goal of parenting isn't to create perfect kids, as much as I strive to do that and seem to fail almost every day. The point of parenting is to teach or point your kids to a perfect God to let them see the goodness of Jesus, the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. See, in most of the country, and I'm gonna say this from a baseball coach standpoint, in most of the country, we've gotten really good at giving away the role of parenting. And what I mean by that is this. We send our kids to tutoring stuff. We put them into private clubs and lessons for baseball and soccer rather than going out and playing catch. We do all of these things that kind of usurp the authority of a parent and pass it on and say, hey, look, we want you to get the best out of it. So that means you're gonna be taking your private lessons and your, your clubs and different things like that because we want you to get the greatest experience in life that life has to offer. And so we give our kids experiences rather than relationships. When the greatest thing that ever matters, you know how many times I had kids come to me and say, you know what, I could care less about how much my, my, my dad made. I could care less about all these things. I just wish my dad had a relationship with me. You know how many teenagers I had that said that to me? So many I can't count. Even kids whose parents had been in the church for years. You wanna know why? Because the relationship matters more than the experiences you give The relationship they have with Jesus matters more than the experiences you give them. I was reading recently an article on Facebook. It talks about how a lot of parents are getting away from giving gifts and giving their kids experiences. And while it sounds great, at the same time, I begin to wonder and go, huh, what is this saying? It's all about the experience. And I know their idea is to develop the relationships through the experience, but I wanna ask you this question. Are you so focused on giving your kids experiences that you're missing on the relationship? Do you point them to Jesus? Do you, and I even say this, when I talk about bringing them to Jesus, this idea of leading 
them to Jesus. So keep in mind what scripture says here. Then little children were brought, led by the hand to Jesus, walked to Jesus. So what is our role in the lives of children? We've got to bring them to Jesus in everything we do. A matter of fact, if you flip over to Deuteronomy 6, I'm gonna flip over there and read this real quick. It's something that we've talked about in the past, but I wanna encourage you with it in a great deal. Listen to what he says. It says in verse two, so that you and your children, all right, oh, sorry, let me jump in verse one. These are the commands, decrees, and laws of the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you crossing, that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. So that, listen, you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord, your God, as long as they live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Think about this. How many times do we, do we think, Oh my gosh, I'm going to kill him. Like, we get so frustrated over things that go on. We're like, oh, like, they just don't get it. But how many times do we expect our kids to automatically just know? Listen to what he says now, starting in verse four. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. In other words, that's my job, my responsibility, that the commands that God lays upon me are to be on my heart. They're to be lived out in my life. They're to be something that is used as a learning device so my kids can look at me and say, that's what I wanna be like. So they're to be upon your heart. And then he says in verse seven, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you give up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Listen to me and here's, here's the thing we begin to understand. Our role is not to impress our children with our great parenting techniques and things like that, but our role is to impress upon our kids the love for God in everything, that I love the Lord my God with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my strength. And so while I talk about kind of usurping or passing off the responsibility to, to, to doing things with our kids, here's the struggle that I face most often when I deal with parents. Do you know what happens when it comes to raising a kid and teaching them the spiritual truths? Many parents, and I've had parents tell me this in the past, well, that's your responsibility. You're the youth pastor. At which point, I just want to say, man, do you love your kid? Do you want your child to be successful, not based upon worldly standards, but to be successful based upon what God says? Do you want them to walk in obedience? Then love them well. Point them to Jesus. Talk about Jesus. That's the greatest thing you could ever pass down to your kids. You want to leave an inheritance that will never fail or never pass away? You leave that type of inheritance. So we talk about this. We want to bring them to Jesus. Number two, what is our role in the lives of children? Allow Jesus to change them. Now listen to me, because I want to be very clear with this. Most of the times when it comes to parenting, especially when it comes to discipling our kids, we miss the big boat because we don't open scripture with our kids, we don't read scripture with our kids, and we don't pray with our kids. 
We kind of think, well, maybe at some point by osmosis, they'll pick it up. And that becomes a struggle. But I want you to see this. We talk about bringing them to Jesus, but we have to allow Jesus to change them as well. In other words, when you jump to Ephesians chapter six, in verse four, it says, fathers don't exasperate your kids. And I find myself oftentimes probably exasperating my kids because I expect them to live a certain way. And a lot of times, at least from my standpoint, I expect them to act like an adult when they're eight, 11, and 14. And I expect them to respond in certain ways. And when they don't, it's the way I grew up. Down comes the ax. We're gonna drop the hammer. Gonna learn something, aren't we? Like, you may not get it through your mind, but maybe it'll come through your butt. You know, like, I'll light a fire under that if that's what it takes. But this whole idea of exasperating our kids is this. Don't expect your kids to do what you're not willing to do yourself. Allow Jesus to change him, but let Jesus use you because as Jesus is changing you, he's gonna change them. Because as you sit down and you read scripture with them and you talk about it and you teach them, now they begin to learn in a different way. Now they learn in a relational way rather than a legalistic way. How many of you would say, I grew up in a legalistic church that was this way, this way, this way, this way, if not, how many would say that? You liars. I got three of you. I'm telling you, I know, I know. I grew up in that type of a setting and situation that there were certain things that were expected and that's how it was gonna be and whether you liked it or not, and it was a very legalistic mentality. And what I want you to understand is that legalism just leads to a deeper, darker hole of religion rather than walking by faith and truth and trust of Jesus. So I allowed Jesus to change him. Listen, listen, and I'm gonna leave this for children, the children who are here today. Children, listen, obey your parents. But listen to me, parents, I want you to understand this. Obey your parents. There's three key words here that oftentimes we forget. In the Lord. That when I obey my parents, I obey them in the Lord for this is right. In other words, I want to honor my father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise. So that, listen kids, it may go well with you and that you will enjoy long life on earth. You know, one of the biggest struggles and difficulties I always seem to, to deal with is the broken relationships in families. And I realize quickly how blessed I've been. I mean, don't get me wrong, we've got conflicts and things like that, but I look at my family and I'm not just talking about my mom and dad and my sister, I'm talking about my moms and and my dad's sisters and my aunts and uncles and how we were a tight-knit, close group that we came together and were united around this. And I realize that some of you don't have that, but what I want you to understand is this, that we have to understand that we've got to build that into our kids. We have to build a love for God that we honor our parents. Why? Because we want to honor them in the Lord. And as a result, when we do that, it may go well with you and we'll enjoy a long life on earth. I don't know of a single parent or a single child who would say, you know what, it's my goal to have a hateful, vengeful, unloving, I don't wanna ever see you again relationship with my parents or with my kids. But you know how many times I see it? And it breaks my heart. 
because I realized how spoiled I was, how blessed I was. And so when I say this, allowing Jesus to change him, I have to begin to point them to Jesus and allow Jesus to do the work. Listen to what he says. It says again, the little children were brought to Jesus, but why? For him to place his hands on them and pray for them. Was the work up to the parents or was the work up to the Lord? It was the Lord. The parents just brought him, right? But the Lord is the one who does the work in changing hearts and minds and uniting them under you. Let Jesus change them from the inside out. See, Jesus' desire, kids, is to know you, to love you, to let you know he loves you, to let you know he died for you, And the way you get to know him is through his word and allowing the Holy Spirit to change you, but it's by also relating with your parents. So here's what I wanna give you, parents. Matter of fact, it's something that we actually did fairly right in the beginning is we grabbed a Bible. We got an old, a a kid's Bible. Matter of fact, somebody posted a picture of the one they got and I was like, hey, we use, I think it was Debbie. Debbie posted a picture of the one they have. I was like, we got that Bible. We use that with our kids all growing up. It's destroyed now. It's got like this, 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 this crazy colored duct tape holding it together because it's literally falling apart. And it's not the whole Bible. It's just key stories throughout, but it relates to the kids. And we would read that over and over. And you know how many times the kids would come up, daddy, 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 can you read this to us tonight? And I think back even at times where I was like, no, I'm tired. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you're an idiot. But Jesus changes them from the inside out. And listen, I believe that we have more access today for you to lead your kids, to disciple your kids than we've ever had in the past. As a matter of fact, every night, or almost every night, we try and do this fairly regularly. Right now, media, which if you're here at our church or you have friends that are anywhere else, as a matter of fact, I was meeting with a guy the other day. I'm like, dude, you're trying to reach people in this area? You go onto our website, log into the Right Now Media, create an account and use it. We pay for it. We have bought this thing, Right Now Media. Go outside. We got a link for you. You can go to our website. You can click on the extras part, download Right Now Media on your phone, download it on your iPad, do whatever it is. But we use the Right Now Media stuff with our kids. And our 14-year-old son likes the cartoons. All right? It's great. We're going through First Peter right now. There are opportunities for you to lead your kids and disciple them, to sit down and talk with them, to ask them questions, to point them to Jesus. As they get older, guess what we got? We've got our replicate stuff back right out there. The Here Journal, where you can sit down with your kids one chapter a day and ask them these questions. That's as they get older. I'm not expecting a five, six, seven, even eight-year-old to sit down and go, well, I'm gonna answer these deep questions that you're asking me. But right now, media can point you in the right direction. Just grabbing a Bible, a kid's Bible, and reading the story to your kids is huge and praying with them. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw those out there, all right? Just to understand what's going on. Listen to me, church. We're gonna jump into these last couple here. Number three, what is our role in the lives of children? To recognize the power of influence. To recognize the power of influence. And I say that because listen to what happens at the end of verse 13. It says, The disciples rebuked those who brought them. Listen to me. The disciples, those closest to Jesus, thought they were a nuisance and a problem and a waste of time. And what I'm here to say is this if we ever look at kids or children or teenagers as a nuisance, problem, and a waste of time, it's over. 
Matter of fact, if we ever got to that point, you might as well just say, hey, Brian's done. Because I would, I'd quit quicker than anything. You come in and tell me the kids don't matter, I'm gonna tell you we might as well shut it down. If you're gonna come in and tell me that families don't matter, we might as well quit. Because the reality is if we wanna make a difference in independence, we have to target the fathers and we have to reach the families. It's important to realize the power of influence that you and I have upon everything that goes on. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons that most churches begin to die is because we look and we go, my power of influence is greater, therefore things are gonna be my way and who cares about kids or teenagers? And give it five, 10 years and guess what happens to that church? Families are gone, you're not reaching anybody new with the gospel and we say, hey, guess what? We're all about us. Yours and my power of influence is greater. And here's the reason why. I dealt with this multiple years on, on, on hundreds of occasions as a youth pastor. When a teen hits the teen years, do you know who becomes the primary influence in a teenager's life? What? Their peers. But do you also know this? That teenagers also reach out to other adults and they look to other adults for influence. Do you know how many times I would have a parent come to me and go, can you talk to my kid about this? And I'd go, yeah, sure. And we'd go off in the distance and I'd sit down with this teenager. I'd be like, hey, tell me what's going on. And they'd tell me what's going on. And then I would give them some advice. And they'd be like, that's great. That's, that's awesome. I'm going to do that. And they'd walk away and the parents would come back a couple weeks later. What did you say to my kid? Well, I just told him this. Well, that's what I said. Well, yeah, but you're the parent. You're dumb. I'm the youth pastor. And they look at me, but I want you to understand this, that those are the types of things that take place in a teenager's life. Me and my dad, oh man, I mean, it was like, if he probably could have punched me and beat me up, it would have been pretty ugly because I was pretty rude. I thought I knew more. I thought he didn't know squat. We butted heads constantly. I mean, we had a decent relationship, but all through high school, it was just constant butting heads. I joined the Navy, all of a sudden, I'm calling up my dad. Dude, you were wise. You were brilliant, right? <laughs> you were brilliant. I was dumb. I thought I knew it all. I thought I was pulling the wool over your eyes and you had no clue when the reality is you let me fail. But what I want you to understand is the power of influence. We must learn to teach and admonish our kids in the love of the Lord. But we have to understand this, that we can't be the ones who don't realize the influence we have on kids. And so what I'm here to say, and I understand not everybody is called the kids ministry, but I want you to also understand this, that it is our role and our responsibility to step up and say, listen, we love our kids so much that we're willing to do whatever it takes to pour our lives into them that we wanna teach them the ways of the Lord, that we wanna raise them up so they can learn to love and admonish the Lord. But listen to me, that we're also in the midst of raising them up, we're looking to partner with parents. We're not trying to take the parents' role. Listen to me, parents. That doesn't mean that you could pass the buck to the church. You have a unique role. I have a unique role in my kids' lives that I cannot pass off to anybody else. So hear me out. One of the biggest struggles that most churches deal with is trying to find people who can work in the kids' ministry. And what I would ask you is this. If you're not involved in the ministry at all in any way, shape, or form, 
and you would say, I can give up time to hold a kid in the nursery, to love on him, to point him to Jesus. Or I could give up time to volunteer while somebody else is teaching to be in there and just say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep some orderly conduct with some seven-year-olds, right? Okay, or eight-year-olds or whatever it is. I would say, why not? Why not? Our kids matter. And let me just speak from a standpoint of what I see going on in independence right now. If we want to begin to make an impact, we're going to have to realize that we're going to have a lot of single parent families that we deal with, that somebody is missing. And likewise, listen to me, men. Matter of fact, we were at a men's conference yesterday and they brought this up. One of the biggest struggles that I oftentimes deal with, two of the most influential teachers I had growing up were fourth grade men teachers in elementary school. Strict, stern, mean. They were the ones like, oh, I hope you don't get Mr. Browning. And then I had Mr. Browning and Mr. Woods. Do you know two of the most favorite guys I ever met that I loved? And my dad was around. Love those guys because they didn't put up with anything. They expected everything and they held you to a standard, but they loved me and they taught me. And that's what Jesus calls us to do. For the church to rally around the parent, to come together and say, hey, together we're better because we can accomplish great things. And the last thing I wanna do is leave you with this. Number four, we said number one is to bring him to Jesus. Number two is to allow Jesus to change him. Number three, to recognize our power of influence. And number four, to be an encouragement, not a hindrance. Listen to what it says again. The disciples rebuked those who brought them. But listen to what Jesus, let not the children come, or sorry, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If you were to flip over to Luke chapter 17, it says this, that Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through who they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Listen to me. There is a value and importance to understand that we cannot hinder kids from coming to Jesus. We cannot stop them from coming to Jesus. We gotta do everything we can to throw the doors wide open, to point them to Jesus, to stand on the truth of the gospel, to use whatever method necessary to reach them for Jesus. And we gotta do that in a way. Listen, it was great yesterday because it's how I feel and it's how I line up. If you grew up in the old school flannel graph days of Sunday school, that doesn't work. As a matter of fact, it didn't work then. Do you want to know why men run from the church? Do you want to know why men hate going to church? Anybody want to throw it out there? The big elephant in the room we all want to avoid? Somebody tell me, why do men hate going to church? I'm scared, okay. What else? Bored? What else? They don't understand. All three, I think, go all together. You wanna know why men hate going to church? Because it's girly a lot of times. It's feminine. It's soft. 
when Jesus had nothing to do with this feministic idea of moving across society. Jesus set out to fundamentally change the world. And we take boys, matter of fact, I remember yesterday I was talking about this. We had some issues with Ethan and Sarah's telling me about this teacher and she, well, these things are going on. I'm like, he's a boy. That's what boys do. But yet we've allowed things to step into this role to say, hey, it's, no, we gotta, don't do that. Let's do me. We wanna be an encouragement, not a hindrance. Now I'm all for guidelines. I'm all for rules and, and orderliness in a classroom. So I'm not saying your kid's gonna be like running around going crazy, doing whatever the heck they want. But I wanna ask you this. Are you willing to throw the doors wide open and say we're willing to do whatever it takes to reach families with the gospel, to throw the doors open so that we can point kids to Jesus, so that Jesus can fundamentally transform the families in our community, the families in the city of independence, and to make a difference here? That's the question. And it starts today by identifying, number one, I gotta disciple my kids, and number two, where can I get plugged in? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna wrap up with this. We got a song that they're gonna sing, but I I wanna finish with this quote, and we're gonna go right into the Lord's Supper. But I want you to think about this. Charles Spurgeon said this, let no Christian parents fall into the delusion that Sunday school or church is intended to ease them of their personal duties. The first and most natural condition of things is for the Christian parents to train up their own children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And then likewise, I believe, church, that when we partner together, that we're better together to accomplish God's bigger purpose, that we can come together and unite with parents. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper. And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, If you're a believer, we always invite everybody to take part in this. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you followed him by baptism saying, hey, look, I have publicly acknowledged him, then we wanna invite you to be a part of this. But I wanna be very clear. We're gonna have some verses pop up real quick, just so you know. If you were to flip to 1 Corinthians 11, you can read along in the screen up above. But as you do, we're gonna put these verses up here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this starting in verse 28. And I believe this is something we all have to do. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. So listen to me, the first and foremost thing you do is you examine yourself inwardly. Do I believe that Jesus died on the cross? Have I put my faith and trust in him? Have I acknowledged him as the only way? And have I followed him in obedience to what he's called me to do? That's the first and foremost thing. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna pray. And if you fell led, you've, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus and you feel led and you wanna grab your kids. If your kids are believers, then we wanna encourage you as parents to come together. You got two cups in each slot. You got a cup underneath with the bread and the juice is right on top. Make sure you grab both and then head back to your seat. I'm gonna pray that as you feel led, I want you to come and respond to that. We're gonna close with the song and we're gonna close with doing this together. So we're gonna do this together and we're gonna close with the song. And I wanna make sure that you examine your heart first before you take. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you break our hearts. Number one, you break our hearts for our kids, our own kids who are under our, our, our very numbered days that we have them. 
They're under our leadership. They're under our watch care. They're under our guidance and they are our responsibility. And God, I pray that we do not pass on that responsibility or expect anybody else to take it up. Lord, I also pray that you soften our hearts to kids in our church. God, that you throw open the doors of our hearts and we say, look, I'm not doing anything, but I love kids. And I can go in once a month and I can serve in the nursery and love on kids and and let them know how much Jesus loves them. But God, I pray most of all that you would transform us, transform our church, realizing that our days are numbered, not just with our own kids, but our days are numbered here on earth. And we wanna make the greatest impact that we can in our city, not to sit idly by and and make excuses, but to reach as many families and as many individuals with the gospel as are possible. So God, I pray that you would revolutionize our hearts, that you would transform our thoughts and our minds, that we would begin to put you first and foremost because we want to love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. And God, I pray just as we jump into that, that we would examine our hearts preparing ourselves to take part in the Lord's Supper. God, show us any unclean, impure, and sinful thoughts, motives, or sins that we've committed in the past and help us confess it, that we may be right with you, that we can partake of this in a holy way. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.